0: Anybody notice when that song was written? 145 years ago. And the Lord still hasn't come back. But He will. That's a sure thing. Let's turn back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. And one of the biblical topics that captivates. The minds of many Christians is the doctrine of eschatology, or the study of future things. I often hear and see questions believers have have about the future, uh, such as, are we in the last days? When is the Lord coming back? Are we going to go through the tribulation or not? Well, we've been in the last days since the Lord Jesus came to save us from our sins, And uh, uh, he told his disciples while he was on the earth certain things about his second coming. And what we draw from what he said and other portions of scripture that we read is that we cannot tell exactly when that return will be, but that we are to be ready for it, we are to be watching for it. This was among the concerns of the believers at Thessalonica, They apparently believed that Christ's coming was imminent, that it could happen at any time, so much so that they were concerned about uh, friends and family that had died and what was going to happen to them when the Lord came back. Would they somehow miss out on that glorious appearance of Christ? Apparently they had not been instructed about that aspect of the Lord's coming, and Paul explained it to them at the last part of chapter 4. Uh, Christ will return for his own. Those who have previously died will be resurrected to their new bodies. Those who remain will be changed into their glorious bodies at his return. And from that point, we will be with him forever. But what then? Paul further reminds them of a coming day, which he calls the day of the Lord in chapter 5. And he describes this day as one of wrath upon those who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the rapture of the church inaugurates the tribulation period, which will be characterized by this outpouring of God's wrath upon the earth. And since we are not destined for wrath, but appointed to salvation, it seems that we will escape that tribulation through a rapture that precedes it. If the Lord's return is imminent, that would have to be the case. Otherwise, we would be waiting three and a half to seven years before the Lord came back in that judgment. As Paul encouraged the church in his day, he encourages us today. He informs us that we are prepared for that day because we are children of light. We are to watch and be sober as that day approaches, and we are to put on the armor of faith love, and hope. So let's ask God's blessing on his word today. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for your word, for its revelation to us, for its encouragement. We're thankful, Lord, that you have saved us from sin, you have uh, delivered us from your wrath, and we can look forward to your coming uh, for us at any time. And we pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by these verses to live in a way that will be pleasing to you when that day comes. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> in chapter 5, Paul first alludes to the day of the Lord, and then he talks about the disposition of the Christian in light of that coming day. So let's take a look here at the first three verses as he uh, describes for us the day of the Lord. And in verse 1, he writes concerning the times and seasons. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. So Paul apparently had taught the church certain things about the future, about this day of the Lord. The phrase times and seasons has an eschatological significance. Time simply refers to the sequence or the passing of time. We derive our English term chronology from this Greek word. But time also has to do with events that occur within it. And this is probably the idea behind the word seasons here, which refers to a peculiar aspect or quality <laughs> of time. The day of the Lord occurs in time, and it has a certain quality that will characterize it. Paul must have taught them about some aspects of that day, and now he's reminding them about it. And perhaps they were a little bit agitated, or not knowing how they should live in light of that day. They've already asked a question about uh, those who have died in Christ, And he's hinted to them that we need to keep on living the way that we're living. We don't want to drop everything and just uh, do nothing until the Lord comes. But now he's going to add uh, some thoughts here that uh, are jogging the memory of these people. And the sequence of this instruction also seems to be significant. In the last part of chapter 4, Paul dealt first with the rapture, of the church, and now he follows that with instruction about the day of the Lord. So that seems to indicate that the rapture is associated with this day and precedes it. This is especially so when we see what kind of day is being described. So let's focus on that a little bit more. Now you can go back in your Old Testament, and you're going to find, especially in the prophecies, the day of the Lord is spoken of quite often. It depicts a time that involves the coming of the Lord in judgment or salvation into human history in an obvious way. It could be broad or it could be specific in its application. The phrase only occurs in the New Testament four times and 19 times in the Old Testament. However, there are a lot of other expressions that allude to that same period of time, such as that day, the day, and the great day. And tribulation, a time of meeting out justice and judgment, are connected to that day, as well as the concept of deliverance or salvation. So it involves a day where judgment is coming, it's imminent, it could happen at any time, and that judgment will be upon the wicked. And the greatest Old Testament example of this is when God delivered Israel from the nation of Egypt. God brought judgment on Egypt to the plagues, and the Lord delivered Israel out of that bondage uh, into uh, uh his people. So that was a day of the Lord when he judged one group and he saved another. The final day of the Lord that Paul's talking about here alludes to the tribulation period at the end of this age and uh, the second coming of Christ to earth, which will involve the judgment of the wicked and the deliverance of the righteous who are saved during that period of time. Now, I believe the rapture of the church inaugurates this time. It actually begins this time. And uh, uh, the period of God's judgment will start after the believers are taken out. So the future day of the Lord will begin with the rapture when we meet the Lord in the air and conclude with the second coming of Jesus to the earth in judgment to rescue the tribulation saints and destroy the uh, remainder of his men, uh, uh, enemies that are gathered at Jerusalem. So his coming uh, to earth is described elsewhere, such as Zechariah chapter 14, and also Revelation 19. Now, how does Paul characterize this day in this passage? Well, there are five observations. First of all, in verse 2, But you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So although it is predicted to come, it will be unexpected. It will come like a thief in the night. Now, few people expect to be robbed in the middle of the night. I'm sure when you go to bed, you're not even thinking about the possibility of somebody coming in your house and robbing you. And of course, you can protect yourself to a certain extent by locking your doors and your windows and having your loaded shotgun in the closet. Some of us may do that. Some of us may not. But the idea here is you can't tell if that thief's going to come, whether you protect yourself or not. You can't predict a break-in. And we do not know when the day of the Lord will arrive. We know it's coming. We know it's imminent. In other words, it can happen at any time, just like a thief breaking into your home. We can't foretell it, and we're foolish if we try to foretell it, as many have in the past. All we know for sure is that it will happen, and it can happen at any time, and the world at large will not be ready for it. Secondly, in verse 3, it will be marked by an unmerited sense of security. We're told here, for when they say peace and safety, you better watch out. Okay, so this is marked by a time of unmerited, unmerited sense of security. Peace and safety is going to be the hue and cry, uh, uh, even when it may not be true. Now, well, up until recently, we've been told by many government officials that our borders are safe and secure when any thinking person can see that that's not true. But it's coming from high places. It's uh, secure. It's safe. There's, uh, there's peace. And of course, there is no peace. The world may yearn for that kind of security and may have some sense of it, but uh, before the Lord comes, we do know that during the tribulation, there will be a time when people are deceived by the Antichrist. He'll be preaching peace and safety. There's going to be a peace made with Jerusalem or Israel, but the Lord's going to send during that time a spirit of delusion that people will believe the teachings of this uh, Antichrist, and he's going to bring Uh, a a so-called peace, but for a very short period of time, it won't last. And while this is all going on, there's judgments going on that people are somehow escaping uh, in their minds that this is coming from the Lord. So it's going to be marked by a sense of security, but look what it goes on to say here. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. So thirdly, it's going to be a time marked that uh, will come suddenly and with destruction in verse 3. And notice in this verse the pronouns. They say, uh, destruction comes on them, and they shall not escape. So we're talking about another group of people. Paul's talking to the church, to his people. He's not talking to them because he would be saying, you. He's talking about these people who are going to be caught unawares and what's going to happen at this time when uh, we're not around. So uh, this day is going to be unexpected, and it will fall upon the unsuspecting very suddenly without warning. And as it comes, it will bring with it destruction. Destruction. When we think of destruction in terms of the human life, it does not mean annihilation. It doesn't mean you die and you go off into nothing. The idea here is that it, it, it's, it comes as a complete ruin. It alludes to the complete removal of everything in your life that seems making it worth living. And in that time, the day of the Lord... Uh, people are going to want to die rather than to live, not understanding that if they did, it'll be worse than even when they were alive. So people are deceived about these things. People are going to beg for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them, cover them, as they experience the outpouring of God's wrath. And Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? So it's going to come, it's going to come without warning, it's going to come suddenly, and there are many prophecies that speak of this. For instance, Joel speaks of that day as one that comes with destruction from the Almighty. It is great and very terrible. Who will be able to endure it? Let me read to you a few verses from Zephaniah chapter 1 the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, there the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Does that sound like a day you want to go through? That is a day of judgment. Sometimes it falls upon a nation. uh, Sometimes it falls upon someone personally. But a time's coming when it's going to fall upon the whole world. And we go to other prophecies and show that. So this is a time that brings great destruction and it is sudden. Then we go to the next thought here in verse uh, 3. This destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, a woman with child. So it is going to be certain, and it is severe in nature. The idea there is not so much expectancy. Uh, A woman expects her child to be born, and can somewhat predict that, especially today, uh, as to when it will happen. But the thought here is more of certainty, You may not know the specific day the child is born. You expect it will happen, but you're also certain it's going to happen. And along with that comes the pain of delivery. You know that's coming as well. And back, of course, in Paul's day, there was really no way to avoid the the labor pains of delivery, which uh, some of you women know quite well. So both the idea of certainty and severity come out in that metaphor. And finally, the last phrase, they shall not escape. So it is inescapable for those who are alive at that time. That generation upon which the day of the Lord comes upon the whole world will have no means of escaping it. Even if all the mountains and rocks fell upon them, they would still be found out. So those who have rejected Christ will be judged. Half the world's population will be wiped out. Yet most people will still go on rejecting the Lord until the day they die, or until he comes in power and great glory. So a day of reckoning will come upon everyone who does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't live to the time that he comes in the day of the Lord, that day will come in their life when they die, when they pass on to eternity. So, in light of this description, what should the disposition of believers be in relationship to that day? Well, a number of things are mentioned here by the Apostle Paul. First of all, in verses 4 and 5, we are spiritually prepared for that day. Paul says, but you, brethren, going back to the idea of brothers and sisters in Christ, but you, not they, not them, but you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. So negatively speaking, we are prepared for that day uh, because we are not in darkness like the people who will be judged in that day. That day cannot overtake us like a thief would in the night. Now darkness, uh, which of course is characterized by nighttime, uh, that often alludes to spiritual darkness in God's word. It's a metaphor of it. So it refers to the absence of God in a person's life, He alone brings you the light of salvation. Uh, Jesus is spoken of as the light of the world who brings spiritual illumination to those who believe in him. And through faith, we are translated from uh, darkness into the realm of his glorious light. So our character is so changed now that we're no longer of that darkness. We're told here that we become sons of light and sons of the day And verse 5. That is your character now. It's not the same as those who are going to be uh, caught unawares in the future who are still walking in spiritual darkness and blindness. To be a son or a child indicates uh, taking on the nature and the character of that which you're related to. In other words, often uh, children exhibit some of the characteristics of their parents. Uh, and here, a believer takes on the character of Christ, who is described as light. Our understanding of spiritual things is no longer uh, in the dark, so to speak. We are not alienated from God. We've been brought into the kingdom of light. So we're not like these people who are still walking in darkness uh, in the uh, Uh, the mindset that is void of spiritual truth, uh, unaware of the peril that lies before them. The day of the Lord cannot overtake us uh, like it will the lost because God has saved us. Our nature has changed. We're children of light. Secondly, we're characterized by vigilance and sobriety. If you look in verses 6 through 8. Therefore, because we're not children of darkness, but children of light, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So that's Paul's exhortation here. As a result of being a child of light, you're to be watchful and you're to be sober. Now, we're to be watchful. Watchfulness means vigilance. Uh, let's not sleep like others do. Now, who would the others be? They would be those who don't know the Lord, those who are still in darkness, those uh, upon whom the day of the Lord is going to overtake them like a thief in the night. Sleep indicates a state of spiritual stupor, again, a, a metaphor, where you're unaware or you're ignorant of or unconcerned about spiritual things. You're asleep in that sense. You don't have any uh, cognizant of it. Uh, Rather than that, we are watchful, we're concerned about our relationship to the Lord, we are looking with anticipation for his coming with the saints. And Jesus warned his disciples along those lines as well. He said to them once, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, same illustration, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So again, Jesus is saying this coming is going to be unexpected. You need to be ready for it. You need to be watching. So we're in a state of constant vigilance by living the way that that God wants us to while we're looking forward to his coming. We're also to be sober. This term means that we are to be alert, we're to be awake, we're to be Uh, clear-headed, we're to be under control in a spiritual sense. Uh, We're not to be all upset about this coming day, it's not going to affect us, we're not looking for that day, we're looking for Christ. Being drunk, as he goes on to say here, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So this idea of sleepiness, spiritually speaking, and the idea of drunkenness are associated with the darkness, with the night, things that happen uh, where you uh, can't see them, so to speak. These are not the things that we're involved in. Paul's associating here the concept of drunkenness with night. Now that's the opposite of being sober, right? Right? You you lose control of your faculties. You can't think straight. You can't walk straight. You don't have control. So this depicts a state of sinfulness and a lack of sobriety. It's an activity associated with darkness and spiritual unawareness. It characterizes those who do not know the Lord. They're asleep because they're still in darkness, and they're not characteristic of the sons of of light. So we're always sober. We're always aware of the spiritual snares and dangers and temptations that are out there in the world. We're looking for the Lord's return. We should also be thinking about lost people who do not have this hope. They're not ready for that day. So we're serious-minded about these most important truths. What helps us then to maintain that spirit of watchfulness and sobriety? Well, Paul adds in verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, and then he affiliates that with putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So here we return to those Christian qualities that he began the letter with, faith, hope, uh, and love. So these are things that help us to stay awake, stay alert, things we need to be aware of. So this is the idea of putting on spiritual armor. This is one of Paul's favorite metaphors. It conveys to us the idea that uh, we're a soldier, and uh, we're fighting in a battle for the mind and for the soul. And in ancient times, the breastplate and the helmet were the most important aspects of the of the armament, the defensive armament. Uh, the breastplate uh, covered your body from the neck down to the upper thighs. So it would protect against blows that might damage your inner organs. The helmet, of course, protects your head from a fatal blow. And Paul relates these now uh, to spiritual armor that faith and love are like that breastplate that protects you, and the helmet is the hope of salvation. So again, um, he's talking about these three important aspects of the spiritual life. Faith speaks of our relationship of trust and obedience to the Lord. Our faith is uh, brought us into right relationship with God, trusting Christ as our Savior, and it continues with us to keep us in that relationship, in that fellowship, trusting God through all the trials of life. Love is the expression of our salvation to others, especially fellow Christians. Our faith in God and love for others are essential To our spiritual life and growth. These are things that we're always growing in, never static. Hope is the third ingredient which is associated here with salvation, the hope of salvation. Now in this context, what would the aspect of salvation be he's talking about? Well, it would be our future hope of final deliverance from this world and uh, our body of sin, because we're going to be with the Lord, so we're going to be in a glorified state, and that's the, the end condition of the believer. Those who have died previous to that time will be glorified in their body, as we are when we're taken up to be with the Lord. So this is the hope we have uh, in the future that could happen anytime. time. Now, the third disposition we find is in verses 9 and 10. And here we see that we are characterized by security. We go on to say, "...for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him." So we are secure in what Paul says here First of all, we're not appointed to wrath. Wrath is the characteristic of the day of the Lord that Paul describes in this passage. It's the major characteristic of the tribulation period, as we see the different scriptures alluding to that, especially the book of Revelation. And we're told we're not going to incur God's wrath for our sins. So why would we be present when God pours his wrath out on the sins of earth dwellers in the future? And the Bible also tells us that we are going to face the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to judge us there for our sins. He'll judge us there for our uh, um, works, uh, for our character, how Christ-like we have become. But we're not going to be judged for our sins. And so if we're going to be judged at his judgment seat, why would we face the judgment of the tribulation as well? Rather, we are appointed to obtain salvation, according to this verse. And that verb, to appoint, uh, in verse 9, means to set or put in place. For people, it really kind of relates to your destiny being set which is connected to God's sovereign appointment. In other words, uh, God determined long before uh, we existed and the world existed that he would have an elect people who would believe in him and come to him. And he makes it true in time. And so that thought is, is within that idea there. We're not appointed to this, rather we're appointed to that. Not wrath but salvation. Now, he goes on to say, to obtain salvation. Now, that word's a little bit different. It suggests that we obtain this salvation by grasping hold of it. Not that we do so by our own efforts or works to get us into heaven. That's uh, This is how we make it our own. We lay hold of it, we grasp it, we acquire it by Faith by trusting what God has done for us. So we kind of make it our own through faith. Uh, Of course, it's uh, only made possible through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we are secure and our future is secure and we will escape the day of God's wrath is because Jesus experienced God's wrath for us. When Jesus died, God punished our sin in him. He took his wrath out on our sin in Christ. So that makes us then secure. Now, what then is the result? Well, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, he's probably going back to some thoughts in the fourth chapter where it talks about those who have slept in Christ and those who remain. So it would seem that he's saying here whether we're awake or alive when this event occurs or whether we have died, whether we have slept, doesn't matter which state we're in when this happens, we're going to be together with him. And as he explained in the previous chapter, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which were alive will uh, join them in the air to meet the Lord. So uh, that's what the end result is here for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now finally, in verse 11, we're comforted and we're edified by this teaching. Therefore, comfort each other, and edify one another just as you are doing. So this is something they've been doing. Whatever they've heard, whatever they've learned, they're encouraging each other in it. They're growing in their understanding and growing in grace. So comfort here is the idea of being consoled and being encouraged about something. And I don't think there's a whole lot of comfort in expecting to live through the tribulation period. Uh, Why doesn't Paul say, okay, get yourself ready, because you're going to go through this time of wrath. You're going to go through this and experience it. Now, yes, in this world, as we're living here, we're experiencing trials and tribulation and persecution. Uh, We're going to be afflicted in these ways if we're living for the Lord. But that's not nearly what it's going to be like in the tribulation period that's going to come upon the whole world. So a pre-tribulation rapture is a source of great comfort if you're going to escape that in the future. Edification is the idea of building up. Uh, we build each other up by proclaiming and receiving God's truth, encouraging each other to live by that. Uh, the study of these future things is one area of truth whereby we encourage each other by contemplating our glorious future in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there he concludes these ideas about the day of the Lord, and we put that together with the concept of the rapture in the previous uh, uh, chapter, and uh, we, I I think, correctly conclude that we'll escape this day if we know Christ as our personal Savior. So let's just draw some things together here by way of a few questions. First of all, the only way you can be ready for the coming day of the Lord is through salvation. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If not, that day comes, you're going to face a horrible period of time that comes upon the whole world. And uh, if you escape that day, it doesn't come, and you die first, Well, that's your day of the Lord where you'll be punished for your sin for all of eternity. Then are you encouraged by the truth that you're not among uh, those who will incur God's wrath during the tribulation? The Lord Jesus has delivered us from it. We're not destined for wrath. And if you know the Lord, you are a child of light who will escape that day of darkness and doom. And finally, Are you living in such a way that that day won't uh, come as a surprise to you? You won't be caught off guard because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. So are you watching? Are you sober-minded about your relationship with the Lord? Are you growing in these qualities of faith and love and hope that keep you ready for his coming? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we are thankful today for the truth of your word. We're thankful, Lord, that in Christ we have not been destined for wrath, but for salvation. And Lord, help us to be looking forward to that day, to be living in a way that uh, we uh, are serving you and worshiping you and living the way that we should. Help us, Lord, to keep short accounts with you. And Lord, we're thankful uh, that we can look forward to a glorious future with the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, also to keep in mind people around us who, if that day occurred today or tomorrow, they would be without you. So help us, Lord, also to have an evangelistic outlook to the coming of Christ. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.